Welcome to the Westside Investors Network, WIN, your community of investing knowledge for growth. This is the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast for real estate professionals by real estate professionals. This show is focused on the next step in your career, investing. Thank you for listening. And please, if you like our content, rate us on your podcast provider. And now your hosts, AJ and Chris Shepard. I am so excited about our guest today. Joey Coleman, the author of Never Lose a Customer Again, joins us and we talk about customer successes and customer retention and ways to improve that. His book has been super influential in our business and we are just super excited to have him on the show. So without further ado, welcome Joey Coleman. All right. I want to thank Joey Coleman for coming on the podcast today. He is the author of Never Lose a Customer Again and the co-host of Experience This podcast where they evaluate customer successes of other businesses. I got my brother Chris on here with me. Chris, Chris, say hi. Hey guys, Joey, thanks so much for coming on. I loved your book and we're stoked on using your implementation plan at our property management company. I'm really excited for this chat. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. It's a thrill to be here with you and AJ. Really appreciate the invitation and excited for our conversation. Awesome. Well, well, Joey, was there anything else that we, we missed about you that our audience should know? I think we'll probably get into it. I have a really eclectic past. I was a, you know, I studied government international relations when I was in undergrad. I went straight to law school. I worked for the Secret Service, the CIA, and the White House Office of Counsel to the President. I ran an ad agency for 15 years. I taught at the postgraduate level, and now I'm a full-time speaker and writer. So it's been an eclectic path. We can pull on any of those threads you guys want to pull on, but yeah, it's been quite the adventure to get to the place where I'm at, where the bulk of my work focuses around human experience, both customer experience and employee experience, kind of under this overarching umbrella of what kind of interactions do we want to create for the people we meet, for the people we do business with, to keep them coming back for more. Yeah, that is an amazing eclectic past. I guess maybe to touch on a little bit of it, like what, what do you think had the most influence for you to like, you know, write the, the book, never lose a customer again, or what, what I know that you draw on probably everything, but like maybe what's, what's been the most influential? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think the thing that's probably, you know, hindsight is always easier to look back and see how the threads connect. And I think when a lot of people hear about my career, they ask, you know, well, wait a second, what does being a criminal defense lawyer have to do with designing logos? Or what does, you know, selling promotional products have to do with teaching night school MBA program, you know, and the moral of the story is in every job I've ever had, the way you succeeded was by having a keen understanding of the human condition. Why do humans do the things that they do? And what can we do to convince or persuade them to do the things we'd like them to do? So when I was a lawyer, how do I convince a jury to find my guy not guilty? When I was selling promotional products, how do I convince somebody to buy a thousand pens with their logo on them? You know, when I was teaching, how do I convince the students to do their homework? Now as a speaker or a writer, you know, how do I convince audiences to take the message that I deliver and actually act on it? So in all of these different positions, really what I've been trying to figure out is human psychology and take what I've learned in human psychology and apply it to these different career tracks. That is so interesting. So what do you think made you so curious about, you know, you, you said it yourself, the human condition and 
you know, where did that all start? Well, I, I think it came from a couple of things. I mean, obviously, I know I'm talking to two brothers here. I grew up one of seven <laughs> kids, right? And so the crazy thing about growing up in a big family is any plan for the day has been completely destroyed by about 8.30 in the morning because the thing that was going to happen that day, it's just chaos. And so that idea of persuasion, that idea of navigating a chaotic world is something I grew up with. I was very fortunate to have two parents that were big believers in not only book learning, but non-book learning. So never letting our school get in the way of our learning. You know, it was a family where we were actively encouraged to read and read broadly and dinner table conversations. I mean, I was actually just talking to my dad and joking with him. I remember in about fourth grade, one night I came home and I didn't have any homework. And we had study hall at home, which I realized now as a parent was basically to give my mom an hour and a half a piece of quiet every day after school. <laughs> but at the time it was, we have study hall and study hall ran from 4.30 to 6. And then we came out of study hall at 6 to have dinner, the whole family. And came to be 4.30, I'm supposed to go to study hall. And mom's like, okay, go to study hall and do your work. And I was like, I don't have any homework. She's like, oh, okay, well, go to your room and play or, you know, read a book or do something else, but your dad will have some thoughts on this later. And I'm like, oh, great. So we get to dinner that night and dad's like, so I understand there was no homework today. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, mm, yeah, I guess the teachers aren't really assigning as much work as they need to be. So now you have homework for me. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and he says, you're going to do a presentation on Friday for the family. This is the, the beginning of the week. This Friday for the whole family Israel versus Palestine, who's right and why with sources? Like, guys, I'm in fourth grade. I'm like, I'm, I'm looking on a map to find where Israel and Palestine are located, let alone unpack thousands of years of conflict and, you know, the peace process and everything that's been going on. So from a very early age, I was kind of encouraged to to learn, to study, to explore, to experiment. And it just stuck. I don't know how else to say it other than it definitely, when we think of nature versus nurture on the nurture side, there was a lot of that combined with a lot of travel created the nature side of it. And as a result, here we are. What an incredible project from your dad. Yeah, it, it was definitely fun. And let's just say I learned to have homework going forward <laughs> after that. Oh yeah, no, we had a big assignment, dad. I got to work oh. on this big assignment for school. Woo, you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> So, your parents and like study hall, that actually sounds pretty awesome. Is there anything else that you really took away from your parents that maybe, maybe characteristics about them when it came to entrepreneurship or business in general? That yeah, yeah, I appreciate that question, Chris. Yeah, it, you know, it's interesting. My dad was a criminal defense trial lawyer for many, many years and had his own practice. So very entrepreneurial in that nature. And he had grown up as a kid on the farm. And anybody who knows anything about farming, a farm is an entrepreneurial endeavor to that makes these entrepreneurial endeavors we all do look like child's play by comparison, because obviously when you're farming, mother nature is the biggest consequence on your success or failure. And you have zero control over that. I mean, you can, in our businesses, we talk about mitigation of risk. We talk about moving into new markets. We talk about marketing, advertising, sales, customer experience, all those things. In a farming context, it's just, hey, I hope it doesn't rain too much or too little. I hope it's right in the sweet spot. I hope it isn't too sunny or not sunny enough. I hope it's right in the middle. And so I think what that did is it produced a real appreciation for 
trying to take stock of the things we can control, but not losing too much sleep over the things we can't control, trying to do your best to plan ahead, trying to think of life in seasons and being okay with that, that there, you know, one of my dad's big sayings when we were growing up is, you know, you make hay when the sun's shining. Well, when the sun's not shining is when you kind of recoup and rejuvenate. And, and that idea that there will be times in our business when our business is growing and evolving. And there are times where maybe we're dealing with some setbacks and we're just trying to keep our head above water. So I would say all of that was incredibly useful. And then I guess the last thing I'll say is I realized that being a full-time parent, which is what my mom was, she was a stay-at-home mom, is actually the hardest job on the planet. It is exponentially harder than anything. All these entrepreneurs I know, and I was guilty of this in the beginning, be like, oh, my business is like my baby. No, it's not. It's nothing like it. <laughs> like, I don't know if you two have kids, but the moral of the story is when you throw kids into the mix, now you actually understand what a 24-7, 365 job is. You can't take a day off from being the parent. You know, you can't just, ah, never mind, I'm going to sleep in this morning when the kids are jumping around and they need breakfast and they need to be fed and need to be sent off to school or in this online world, put on to school on their online learning school or whatever it may be. So yeah, I feel very fortunate that I had good role models on from both my mom and dad of how to navigate this entrepreneurial lifestyle. Mom just got her hour and a half a day during study hall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, which, by the way, during that time, she was, oh, I don't know, doing laundry, making dinner. It's not like she was sitting, you know, putting her feet up, eating bonbons, drinking mint juleps, watching soaps. Like, no, it was, that's when I can actually get some work done in this get house. Stuff done. Yeah. Cool. Go ahead, AJ. Oh, yeah. So kind of like the, the next question that we wanted to know is like, there's a lot of real estate companies, much like ourselves, that use your processes and use the stages that you created in order to really like increase their, their, their level of customer service or like you said, employee service too. I guess, do you have any like success stories that you've, you've heard recently from anyone that you can, you can share? Yeah, well, I think what's interesting is when, when we look at real estate in general, there's lots of pieces of this puzzle, right? There's yeah. real estate as it relates to sales. There's, you know, and buying and selling, whether that's residential or commercial. Then there's property management, which is its whole separate layer because now property management, what's interesting about that is we've got multiple customers, right? We've got the owners of the property and then we've got the tenants. And then one tenant's behavior can affect another tenant in the complex, which you don't see as much in a non multifamily housing residential unit, you know. And so I think there's a couple different ways to look at it. I would say if I can pull up to like the 35,000 foot level. Yeah. What I think is interesting in the real estate world is some fascinating research out of the National Association of Realtors. And for those of you that are more in property management, hang on, we're going to get to that piece of the puzzle. <laughs> but if we just look at the real estate puzzle, there's some interesting data that's indicative of this. When they ask people who have bought or sold a piece of property, whether that's commercial or residential, after the sale, what did you think of the agent that you worked with? You know, was it a positive experience or a negative experience? North of 85% will say it was a very positive experience. I'm very happy with how things worked. Yeah. Fantastic. When they go back to those same people, when it comes time to either buy or sell their next property, only 11% work with the same agent they worked with the first time. Now, that's wow. pretty staggering when you think about it. It's like, well, yeah, wait a wow. second. I thought it was a great experience. Only 11% go back. Why? Well, I believe the reason is 
most folks who operate in real estate sales think that the relationship is done when the ink is dried and keys are handed over. Yeah. No, that is a step in the process. Now, if we think on the property management side, it's the exact same analogy. I don't have the, the stats are harder to come by in the property management world, but the reality is, let's look at the tenants. When a tenant signs up to, you know, become a tenant of yours in a property, we think as the property managers, okay, well, the big piece is to get them to sign the lease, to sign on the dotted line and to move in. Meanwhile, to the tenant, that is the beginning of the journey and in many ways is the least important aspect of the journey for them. What they're wanting to know is, hey, when something goes wrong, how quick is it going to be to get a repair? Hey, this light's burned out. Can you come and, you know, do I call to swap out the light or do I just do it myself? Or what rises to the level? I remember when I first moved into an apartment in law school, the light burned out and I switched the light. And later I was talking to somebody and they were like, well, you know, the maintenance guy will come up and change your light bulb. And like, again, I'm a farm kid. I'm like, wait, what? You call somebody to change a light bulb? This is ridiculous. Like, I'm, I just feel that feels offensive to me. Like, if it's something big, like, hey, the stove isn't working. Yeah, I will quickly raise my ignorant hand and say, we are above my pay grade. I need some help with this. But long story short, I think often people confuse the finish line in the conversation with their customer. We anticipate the finish line is at one point when the reality is our customers or our clients see a finish line that is much later in time. And if we're not paying attention to where they think the finish line is, you're not going to have happy clients and customers long-term. Yeah, that is a very good, very high level we found as a property management company, we found that like the implementation of your eight stages really just helped us keep in, more in contact with each of the clients going through. It was super impressive. It's worked wonders for us. And I also wanted to ask you, like, have you, I mean, you're an expert in customer service. Have you heard of any technolo more technologies being used lately that you think of like really not like maybe modified the space a little bit or no? Oh, absolutely. I mean, here's the thing. We need to think, I think it is useful to think of technology as a tool to augment the relationship, not to drive the relationship, right? So at the end of the day, when you have a tenant, and we can, we can focus this on the tenant or the owner side of the conversation, whichever you want, but let's, let's first focus on the tenant side and then maybe we'll sure. flip to the owner side. Yeah. On the tenant side, Lots of times, historically, property management interactions with the tenant meant the tenant coming to the office or the maintenance person or whoever it was on site at the property going to the door of the tenant. I don't know about you guys, but in this era where everybody's got a cell phone in their pocket that does texting and email, put COVID aside, I don't need to talk to you. Like, can't we just do this over text? Can't we just do a quick little phone call? Can't we do an email? Can't we do something that is asynchronous communication, meaning we don't both have to be live in the conversation at the same time? It's better for time management. It's better for efficiency's sake, effectiveness sake, et cetera. And so I think when we think about technologies to use, every property manager should be paying close attention to what are the preferred modes of communication for each of my tenants. Now, you may have one apartment that they prefer emails and the next apartment prefers text messages. 
welcome to the joys of being a property manager, right? <laughs> yeah. You've got to communicate yeah. <laughs> down the channel that works for them. If they're not into texting and you're like, yeah, but we do texting with our tenants, you're in the hole before you've even started. They're going to be unhappy because you're forcing them to use a communication modality that is not their preferred format. So I think we've got that going on as it relates to tenants. When we think about owners, it's a similar conversation, but with a little bit of a different feel. The typical property manager is not in conversation with the owner every day. And as a result, now sometimes they are, but most aren't. As a result, the usual conversation with the owner falls into one of two categories in my experience. You guys tell me if I'm missing the boat on this. Either oh my gosh, there is a major crisis problem that we got to let the owner know about. And usually yeah. it's a three alarm fire and everything is bad and it's ugly. And that's the conversation you don't want to have. Or you've got a quarterly or a biannually or an annual, let's check up, look over the numbers, whatever it may be. It's some type of a non, you know, regularly occurring, but farly spaced out communication, which after a certain amount of time, starts to feel really rote and banal for everybody involved. It's like, oh, we have another quarterly check-in. Great. How are the numbers? Oh, they're good. They're bad. What? They're indifferent. It's not really advancing the conversation. It's checking the box. And so I think property managers could benefit from thinking differently about the relationship with the owner and exploring what would it be like to communicate with the owner outside of the expected time frame for a non-negative emergency. What I mean by that is, what would it be like to send the property owner a video of you walking through the property and maybe something's looking particularly good. Maybe there was yet some new landscaping done that the owner knew about and you normally wouldn't report on till later, but you just happen to see it the day after everything's cleaned up. It's looking beautiful. You just shoot a little 30 second video. Hey, I know you're going to get the chance to stop by and see this later. I just wanted to give you a preview. Everything looks great. It all came together. Excited for you to see it in person. Those little communications make the difference between whether you get to continue to be the property manager or not, <laughs> right? It's those things. Everybody yeah. thinks it's the big things. It's about, you know, occupancy rates and rent collections. And those things are important. Don't get me wrong. But those are the anti-up chips to sit down at the table. Nobody ever sits around, you know, you don't have a bunch of real estate owners sitting around going, oh man, let me tell you, my property managers, they're so good at collecting rent. Like, no, that's, that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And I don't, I don't say that to diminish the role that property managers play in what is often not a fun task, but we have to look at what's most important to the audience we're serving, what's most important to the tenant, what's most important to the owner. And lots of times those little extra touches can go a long way towards making deposits in the karmic bank account for when things go wrong. Yeah, you're totally spot on with you know, it's some sort of scheduled communication that's expected or there's a problem and we need to contact you because of this problem. And, you know, a little surprise in there that's good is always very nice. So, Joey, when I was reading your book and, you know, learning about the eight stages, I was kind of blown away. Just like I, I don't even think I totally understood the affirm stage and just the fact that, you know, there's this point in time where, you know, you've made the sale, but then this doubt like creeps in and, you know, there's a, 
you know, I've seen that happen so many times with property management clients where we've got the signed contract, but then we never got the keys to the property. Yeah. And it was just like, what are we like, doing? How did that happen? I thought this was a done deal. And then, we, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Well, it, it's interesting, Chris, when we look at, so I believe there are eight phases. The third phase is the affirm phase. In common parlance, we refer this to this as the buyer's remorse phase. Now, what's interesting is I can't see everybody who's listening to the podcast right now, but for those of you listening, whether you're driving in the car or doing the dishes or working out, whatever you're doing, just play along with me for 30 seconds here, right? I'd like you to raise your hand up in the air if you've heard of the phrase buyer's remorse. Now, even though I can't see you, your hands are going up. AJ and Chris's hands are going up, and I imagine our (laughs) listeners' hands are going up as well. Great. Now, I'd like to ask the following question. Raise your hand if you have a system and process in your business designed to address the buyer's remorse that everyone you do business with will feel. Every owner that signs up to have you manage their property, every tenant that signs up to move into a property. Now, here's the thing. That silent sound you hear is the sound of no hands being raised. We're all familiar with the phrase buyer's remorse, and yet very few, if any, businesses have a system and a process to address it. Let's talk a little bit about the research. The research shows with every purchase, there is some twinge of buyer's remorse. The brain releases dopamine when we make a, when we make a purchase. We feel joy, euphoria, and excitement. This is the product that's going to be the answer to our prayers. This is the thing that's going to make everything work well. These are the property managers that are going to keep my space well taken care of, fully occupied, and not let the place get trashed out so my asset continues to grow. These are the property managers who are going to make sure that our light bulbs get changed, that you know the common areas are kept clean, that it's safe to walk in the parking garage, whatever it may be everybody's feeling good. But almost as quickly as that dopamine floods the brain, it starts to recede. And when dopamine goes out of the brain, those feelings of joy, euphoria, and excitement are replaced by feelings of fear and doubt and uncertainty. What if these folks aren't as good as they claim to be? What if this isn't, you know, it seemed like great in the sales conversation, but I've worked with property managers before and they make a lot of big promises that they don't deliver on. Or, hey, this apartment seems like the best one, but it's not just about the amenities and the fixtures in my apartment. It's about what am I going to have to deal with with the landlord and the maintenance crew and the property managers when things don't go well or when there's a hiccup or when I have to ask for an extension on my rent or when I've got family coming and we want to host a party, but the people next door are, you you know, have a problem with us having a party or worse, we've got a baby and the people next door are having a party and how do we navigate that? I mean, there's, there's a thousand different issues that are coming up in their minds from a place of fear and doubt and uncertainty. If we don't address that and we don't address that early on in the relationship, that delta, that difference between our excitement that we landed the deal or we got the tenant or we got the property and the other side of the table's fear and doubt uncertainty about how this relationship is going to work out, that gap only increases over time. So we want to get on it right away in the relationship, do things to affirm the decision they made to work with us and let them know that all of these feelings they had when the dopamine hit their brain are going to continue throughout the relationship. That is so huge. AJ, you and our business development team member, Nicole, have been working on implementing the the 100 days. And what did you guys come up with a good affirm stage for our property management clients? 
we have them go right into filling out a form and filling out all that sort of stuff, but definitely thanking them and saying like, you know, we're so happy to have you on the team. And we have, you know, kind of like steps where we, we stay in communication with them. I think in the book, Joey, you mentioned that like, you know, there's like you sign on the dotted line and then there's this kind of void afterwards that they just don't necessarily hear from them. And so that affirm stage, we follow up, maybe we make sure that we, are telling them that they, they made the right choice, we're the ones, and we also need a little bit more information from them. And I think one of the main stages in our, in our flow was that we had previously not been contacting the owner that we have like applications in. So like most of the time rentals come to us and they're, they're vacant. So when we, you know, we looked at our process and we're like, well, why not like tell our owners that, you know, like they've got applications in like this, this is a great step where we're paying attention and we're thinking of them and we're, we're sending them a notification. So that's, that's one of the things that we did. And I think we also worked on like our transition too of like the transition from the development into, you know, the leasing or the onboarding process. So we, yeah. uh, we, we made a, a ton of, a ton of changes and it seems to have done wonders for what we're doing. So. Oh, I love it. Well, there, there's a couple of pieces in there, if I may, AJ, pull on. Yeah, absolutely. Number if one, break it down. No, no, for no. Us. I, I, I appreciate no. it. Well, <laughs> we love uh, constructive criticism. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Well, let me give some compliments and then let me, let me share some additional <laughs> thoughts. Uh, compliment so, compliments. Sandwich. Yeah, compliment sandwich. Exactly. So, love the idea of reaching them out and letting them know that applications are in. That's huge because you're right. This is something where we forget that out of sight means out of mind. And when we create a scenario, for an owner of a property where the person that they've hired to manage their property isn't in communication, they are going to fill that void with bad thoughts. Why are they going to do that? Because they're human. It's not that they're bad or you're bad. It's that they're human and they've decided to hire you to manage this real estate portfolio or this piece of property and to keep it filled and to take care of all the little crossing of T's and dotting of I's and all the little things that come up. And they're going to, pre- they're going to tell you that they want to be in a scenario where no news is good news, right? I'll be happier if the phone isn't ringing, right? No. They lie about other things too. What they're going to be happy about is no bad news, right? They want good news. So your idea of sending them a message, it just says, hey, by the way, we've got eight applications in already. Or we've got a couple applications in and several of them look promising. We'll continue to keep you in the loop. Or just little messages. These can be text messages, little audio voicemail messages, little tiny things that let them know, hey, we're on it and we're working. What's interesting is you mentioned that idea of, well, we have them fill out the paperwork and then we tell them we're going to do a good job for them. (laughs) Respectfully, I imagine the relationship they had before with a property manager was similar. The person said, we're going to take good care of you. Just fill out this paperwork. Give us all these details. Here's our system. Here's our process. It's nothing bad with you guys. It's whenever we are entering a relationship, it's kind of like dating. Okay, let's just break this down to brass tacks, human reality. When you start dating someone, you get the baggage of their previous relationships. 
you get the baggage of whatever the habits or patterns or conditions existed in their prior relationships come washing into your new relationship. And guess what? All of your baggage about your past relationship spills back over them as well. And if you're in a mature relationship, you're talking about this, you're navigating through it in a non-emotional, you know, grown-up way. If you're human, you're not doing it that way, and it's kind of a mess. But what I think could be interesting is I'd be willing that everyone to th- imagine, I imagine that it's the case that everyone listening, and you too as well, have one or two clients, one or two owners that you work with who love you guys. At least one or two. I mean, they absolutely love you. These are the kind of people that you would invite to your wedding. They may be a godparent for one of your kids. You know, these are, these are people that, yeah, you do business together, but you're actually friends as well. What about asking them to shoot a 30-second video? And here's how the video goes. Pretend that I'm that friend. I own the property, and I'm shooting the video for AJ and Chris. I say, Hey there, Joey Coleman here. I actually own a multifamily unit down in the Cosa Mesta region. These guys have been doing a great job taking care of me for like eight years. They are solid. Not only do they deliver on the occupancy, but you know what? We just, we haven't had the same problems we were having with our previous property management firm. I know you're new to the team. I know we haven't had the chance to meet yet and you don't know me from anyone, but I can tell you these guys can be trusted. They're going to take good care of you. They're going to look out for you. And if they've done even half the job for you that they've done for me, you're going to be ecstatic. Welcome to the family. I think you're going to enjoy this. Period. They shoot that video. And then when you have someone sign and they're filling out all this paperwork, they get done, they go home. You send a little text and you say, hey, by the way, I had mentioned that we had signed a new client to one of our existing owners. And they sent me this video and asked me to share it with you. Wow. Boom. That's, that's powerful. Now you've got someone else singing your praises. Not Because let's be candid. We're all <laughs> fairly good at singing our own praises. It's a completely different story when someone else is singing your praises. Right? And so now they're in this relationship starting off and they're going, oh, whew. you know, I didn't. I didn't ask for references. I didn't call other owners they knew. Or even if they did talk, call and talk to other owners you work with, now they're getting this unsolicited email that's just a quick little 30-second text video. Guess what? Now they're feeling more confident about the relationship. And as you think about growing your network and growing your business, the more you can connect your owners together who, by the way, might be willing to go in on deals together, might be willing to refer business to each other from an investment side of view, you now are seen as not the property management folks who deal with kind of all the problems of being a property owner, but now you're seen as a trusted member of their network who's connecting them to other financers, other investors, other real estate agents, whatever it may be, who now you're playing a very different role in their life. That is great. I guess one more part of the affirm stage that I kind of latched onto was just kind of the idea of, hey, we are working on it. You know, when you're loading a web page and you see the cogs spinning, <laughs> it's like, oh, something's happening here. Yeah. Oh, this is interesting. I wonder what's going on behind the scenes. And like just that fact of a little piece of communication where it's like, thank you so much for filling that out. Uh, We're diligently inputting this into our property management system so that we can streamline and modernize your property so that we can collect rents online and do 
online owner disbursements and so that our speed of communication is just so much faster and it's way easier for everyone. You'll yeah, have Chris. a new owner portal here shortly. Totally. I love that. I love that. You know, there's some really fascinating research out of Stanford University where they took a travel website. So if you've been, if you've ever booked travel on a site like Kayak or something like that, where you put in Wikipedia, any of those, they took one of those sites. And what they did is people put in where they were and the destination they were going to, and it was pulling up all the potential airlines where they could get a ticket to fly. And they ran this test and they would show it. Well, the way those algorithms work is when you hit enter, the computer knows what the answers are and they throw the answers right back up. But as part of the experiment, they decided to slow it down. And first they'd show you American Airlines and then they'd show you Frontier and then they'd show you Delta and then they'd show you Spirit. Then they'd show you United and they'd build over the course of several seconds instead of instantaneously. They made it seem like that computer was working hard to find the best deal. What they found, so this is a complete fiction. This isn't actually <laughs> what the computer needs to do. This is human psychology at play. What they found is people were much more likely to buy a ticket and much more likely to come back and buy a ticket in the future because they felt that this site was doing work behind the scenes for them. We're all familiar with the phrase, nobody wants to see how the sausage is made. That's not true. Humans actually want to see you working. So even if you're, to your point, Chris, sending just little updates of like, hey, we've, we've entered the first half of the data on your properties into the system. The second half gets entered tomorrow. Or, hey, we've finished phase one of the portal. Phase two begins now. Whatever it may be, it's letting them know that work is being done behind the scenes, and that means value. That means that you're earning your fees, you're earning your percentages, you're earning your commissions, and as a result, they're going to feel better about the relationship. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, kind of jumping out of the affirm stage, can you see like any part of the, the eight stages in real estate that are just severely lacking or areas for improvement? I know you mentioned like, kind of the advocate and the adopt stage with that like huge statistic from NAR. I heard you say 85% love their agent and then 11, only 11 use them again. I'm just like, oh, that's like the Pareto optimality right there. The 90-10 rule. So that 11% of the real estate agents are getting 90% of the business. That's just unreal. And so yeah, it's they're crazy. only getting to the, those final stages. Yeah, absolutely. And so a couple thoughts on that. So briefly, there are eight phases that your clients, your customers have the chance to go through. Phase one is the assess phase where they're trying to decide whether they even want to do business with you. Phase two, the admit phase where they say, yes, I want to hire you guys. They sign on the dotted line, hand over their hard-earned cash. You officially become the property manager. Phase three that we talked about earlier, that affirm phase where they begin to doubt the decision they just made. Phase four, the activate stage, that first real moment of truth where we're putting it out there to get applications or we're starting to do the things to really move forward in this new environment where you're managing the property. Then we come to phase five, the acclimate phase. This is a phase where most businesses start to fall off the rails. Now, in the acclimate phase, you want to hold your customer's hand to get them familiar with your way of doing business. See, if you're a successful property manager, you may be managing dozens, hundreds, thousands of units. 
But to that person that is bringing their property to you to manage, their portfolio is probably smaller than yours. So they're immediately thinking, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not the biggest fish in their pond. I'm not the thing they're focused the most on. And they've never worked with you before. So they don't know all the steps in your process. I mean, you mentioned in that scenario earlier, Chris, this idea of, you know, oh, we're, we're putting everything in so that we can make rent collection easier, so that we can make owner distributions easier and, you know, automate that stuff and put it online. If they haven't done that before, this is the equivalent, and I say this respectfully, of going to your great grandma and saying, we're going to get you set up on online banking. Okay. It's a shock to the system. Like they don't know what's going on. It's not because they're bad. It's not because they're foolish. It's just, this is a brand new world for them. So I think an area where most real estate professionals, whether that's in real estate sales or in property management or anywhere, frankly, in the real estate spectrum, have a tendency to fall apart is in that handholding acclimate stage. Because we've done it so many times that we absolutely know what comes next. And we know it all works out just fine in the end. But to the person who's there for the first time, who's going through it, they have no idea. And some of you may be listening saying, but Joey, in our agreement, we outlined the three phases of how we get them on board in our portal and our operating system. <laughs> Folks, they didn't read that. I'm sorry. I hate to they break it not. to you. They did not read that. And if you doubt the validity of my opinion on this topic, I ask you to think about the last time you rented a car. When you rented the rental car counter, and all you wanted was to hand over your license and card and get the keys. And what did they make you do? Read this little screen and click, I accept, I accept, I accept. You didn't even read what was on the screen. You're just clicking the screen going, give me my keys, give me my keys. I got to get my kids in the car and go. Your clients are exactly the same. People sign stuff that they don't read all the time. And if there are important things that are outlining your process or your system or how you're going to deliver value, and you think that it's enough to have that in the proposal or in the contract, you are missing a huge opportunity to prove your value by calling out those milestones as you work your way through them. That's just awesome. I have so many like light bulbs going off in my head right now, and just I need to write them all down right now. <laughs> I will say one thing that I really, really liked about the book is it's not, it's, it's not just applicable to one type of business. Like we're giving property management as maybe an example right here, but I mean, this, it applies to any sort of client and you even mentioned it's in property management, like the tenants, it can apply to them as well. 100% AJ. Yeah. I mean, my people ask me all the time, well, who is this book? What kind of business is this book going to help? Any business that has humans as customers. Yeah. If your business has humans as customers, this stuff applies. If your business does not have humans as customers, I would like to have a separate conversation because I want to know about your business because to my experience, I haven't come across one that doesn't have humans as customers. But yeah, you're absolutely right. These same principles that you're applying outward towards the owner, you can apply inward towards the tenants. Same thing. Oh, they're trying to decide whether or not to move into your property. They come in and they sign the lease. Then they begin to doubt that they should have signed the lease for the other apartment or the other house that they saw. Then the activate stage is the move-in day. Has anybody ever had a glorious move-in day? Not that I'm aware of, ever in the history of moves. So what could you do as the property manager? Imagine showing up with pizzas and drinks at the end of their move-in day. 
Imagine the investment of 30, 50 bucks to create a wow experience. Now, I know a lot of property managers, a lot of owners, they'll leave a basket, you know, of stuff that no one ever eats. <laughs> In the house, it's a standard basket for everyone with no consideration as to dietary restrictions or anything these people are doing. And they just show, show up with something that they're going to be excited about and make it seem like it's spontaneous, not planned. Can you imagine moving into a new apartment building and having the property manager show up that night with pizza for all of your friends that moved you in if it's that type of environment that you're moving in? Or if you have a professional moving company, when the moving company gets out, showing up with a couple of gift cards for different restaurants in the area and just saying, hey, it's your first night here. I'm sure the last thing you want to do is try to figure out which kitchen box has your cooking utensils on it. Dinner's on us tonight. Here are three favorite restaurants within 15 miles. Here's a card for you know $30 off your meal, $50 off your meal, $10 off your meal. The amount does not matter. It's the thoughtfulness of the gesture that makes them say, wow, we actually matter to our property manager. I don't know about you, but I've lived in a lot of different places around the country. And if I was feeling super positive about my property manager on my first night sleeping in my new place, it would have dramatically changed my long-term experience there. Because now it's somebody who, when I call them to fix a problem, I'm calling somebody who I already know cares about me as opposed to, oh, great, now I have to be the squeaky wheel to get the oil and get their attention. No. Let's let's start it off from a positive place for all the parties involved. Yeah, that's great advice and a great way to start off a relationship for sure. Well, are we getting to the time where we're getting to our last four questions, Chris? I think we are, but I do love just surprising your tenants and your clients and celebrating too. That like, as a property manager, you're going to have to go and see the property anyway so you might as well time it with the gift and logistically it seems like it's hard to pull off but i oh gosh i would love to do it <laughs> okay let's get to our four questions all awesome. right sounds good i will i will start us off joey what's one piece of advice you would give to your 25 year old self Oh, this is a good one, AJ. As I mentioned at the top of our conversation, I have had a very eclectic career path. It is not at all gone the direction that I thought it would at 25. So the piece of advice I would give is twofold. Number one, there is plenty of time and the road is windy. Stop worrying about, oh, what is the finish line I'm going towards? You know, there's this great quote from Cervantes where he talks about in the Canterbury Tales where he says, the road is better than the inn. And the idea is the journey is more exciting than the destination. I would remind my 25-year-old self to really enjoy the journey because I enjoy it now. But in the beginning, I was a little more focused on the destination than the journey. Awesome. I love that. All right. So you mentioned you grew up on a farm and that your dad was a farmer, but what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Yeah. So my first pure non-family related entrepreneurial endeavor, when I was in high school, we had this program in econ class called Junior Achievement. Have either of you guys heard about this? No. So, so Junior Achievement is basically a program, it's nationwide, where they pair local business people with high school economics classes 
to basically teach you about business and economics and life in the context of you start a business in your class. So my class started a business that was a coupon calendar. Now, basically what we did is we went around to local business. I grew up in a small town in Iowa, about 25,000 people. We went around to local businesses and got them to purchase a coupon ad space in our calendar. And the calendar was basically one of those tear-off calendars where every day had a separate sheet of paper. And our goal was to have 365 different coupons that we would then sell to people who lived in the community. So we were making money from selling the ad space and we were making money from people buying the calendars. And it was a great experience. It was my first official business card. You know, it taught me a lot about marketing. It taught me a lot about sales. It taught me a lot about packaging. We negotiated a deal with the local shopping mall back when people used to go to shopping malls. I'm (laughs) dating myself a little bit. But we sold this at the holidays and we had a gift wrap option. And we had a deal where if you bought three and they were all separately gift wrapped, you could get a better deal than buying them one at a time type thing. So we were really trying to, you know, play around with volume and packaging and all those kinds of things. And it was just a a great overall experience. And we made a profit, which anytime you can start a business and make a profit, you are hashtag winning friends. Yeah. That's, that's, that's usually better than, incredible. It's usually better than 80% of businesses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I was spoiled very early on. I was like, oh, this is kind of a walk in the park. Look at how easy this is. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. How has your formal and informal training shaped your journey? Oh, only every step of the way. Yeah. It's only shaped it every step of the way. You know, the question I probably get the most, AJ, is people say, well, wait a second, you went to law school and now you do customer experience. Was law school a waste of time? Absolutely not. I use my law degree every day. I use it when reading contracts. I use it when reading insurance liability clauses for events I speak at. I, you know, get to use my negotiation skills training, my writing training, all of these things in everything I do. So I think what's interesting is when we think about formal and informal training, lots of times we have a tendency to box the formal training into the specific area without looking at the broader application. So we say, oh, well, I learned how to do math. I don't use math anymore. That was useless. Well, no, actually what you learned is system and structure. And you learned processes. And you learned how if you put certain variables in, you always get a specific outcome. These are very valuable things for a business owner to know. But if we think about it as, I learned calculus, it kind of diminishes the actual learnings that come out of this. So I was really fortunate, like I said, to have both a lot of really fun formal and informal training. And I'm nowhere near done. I mean, I am constantly taking new courses of study, reading new books, participating in new programs. I mean, my goal is to be learning things the day I die. Like I want to be a lifelong learner because I think, especially in this day and age, you have to be. The scope of the playing field and the landscape is changing so rapidly that if you're not constantly enhancing your skills and learning new things, you're actually just falling behind. That is so true. I always would say that, you know, school, whether high school or college, was just a, a hoop to jump through. But listening to, you know, how you know eloquently you put your experience and you know learning those systems and learning you know how 
what they teach you can be applied more broadly and greatly. It really kind of changes the, I guess, my, my paradigm has shifted just a tiny bit. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> and just the changing and shifting landscape. I mean, even in like the last six, nine, 12 months, what a crazy world we live in. Oh, totally. Um, and, and by the way, at, at the risk of being a downer to all the folks on the listening, this is the warm-up rounds, friends. This is the warm-up rounds for the future. I'm not saying we're still going to be dealing with COVID 10 years from now with COVID-19. We might be dealing with COVID-2030. We might be dealing with some other climate crisis. We might be, you know, this, this whole idea of everything changing so rapidly, you don't have a choice. This isn't an option to say, yeah, I'm going to opt out of climate change. I'm going to opt out of global <laughs> pandemics. I'm going to opt out of a shifting political landscape. I'm going to opt out of changing demographics in society. No, this is the world you live in. So we can either be upset that it's changing or be the kind of person that tries to be as resilient as possible and adapts to the changes that are happening. Yeah, resiliency. That is the word of the future. All right, Joey, our last question, and we'll slightly tweak this one for you, but what was your Moby Dick? The, the one that got away, the one opportunity that didn't capture or act on that was so big? You know, Chris, I appreciate the question. And there are so many. There are so many things. You know, hindsight is such a great learning place, right? It's so much easier to look back and see. Let me throw out several just to show you how often this <laughs> happened, right? It could be the time I sat in a room with a guy saying, this thing called Bitcoin is $10. If you could just even give me $1,000, $1,000 at $10 oh for some Bitcoin, what oh, do you think? I had a chance to invest in a Bitcoin mining company. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh my gosh. Or how about this one? I show up in law school and I'm in Washington, D.C. and this is in the mid-90s. And it's like, should I rent my apartment or should I buy an apartment? I should have bought an apartment, but no, I rented an apartment. You know, that real estate now, oh my gosh, Washington DC is the one place where when it comes to real estate has just been going up and up and up. And as long as we have a federal government and people moving to Washington to work in the government, those numbers are still going to keep going up, right? And so, you know, there's a real estate one. So many things that could have, should have been. But here's, here's what I'll say about Moby Dick type scenarios in general. The crazy thing about the book Moby Dick is the premise is, hey, we're going to tell you this story of the one that got away. And I understand that everybody likes to tell the story of the one that got away. What I often see entrepreneurs failing to do is to truly celebrate the one you caught. See, we spend so much time looking at the deals that didn't work our way or beating ourselves up for missing the investment we could have made or the opportunity instead of truly celebrating when we actually accomplish something. If there's one blanket statement I'll make about entrepreneurs, really good at getting out there and growing businesses and providing value and thinking big, et cetera, et cetera, really horrible at acknowledging their accomplishments. Really horrible at acknowledging their success because it's always about, yeah, but I could have had more. 
but I could be bigger, but I could do the next thing, but I could grow the portfolio the next way. I could have eked out a higher percentage profit, whatever it may be. And I, I think as a result, we miss the chance to celebrate what we've actually accomplished along the way. So I guess what I'm trying to do with my own life, and I encourage anybody to join me in this process if you like, is not be in a position where you're on your deathbed telling the story of the whale that got away, but instead you're on your deathbed telling the story of all the amazing ones you caught. Yeah, that's that awesome. Is. That also ties to your answer to question number one. It's about the journey and you got to celebrate along the way. Totally. Well, awesome, Joey. We super appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. It was a ton of great information today. And yeah, we just can't thank you enough. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks, AJ. Thanks, Chris. It was my pleasure. And thanks to everybody who was kind enough to listen in. Hopefully you got an idea or two that you can apply to your business to create the kind of remarkable experiences that'll keep your owners and your tenants coming back for more. Awesome. Joey, thank you so much. You rock. Yeah. Joey, if our listeners want to try and get a hold of you or anything, is there anything that you want to let them know on where to go or what to do? Yeah, sure. So the best place to find me is online at joeycoleman.com. That's J-O-E-Y, like a baby kangaroo or a five-year-old you know somewhere. Joey Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, like the camping equipment, but no relation. Joeycoleman.com. As you mentioned at the outset, AJ, we also have a podcast. I say we, my co-host, Dan Gingis, who's a customer experience expert from companies that you might have heard of like Discover Card and Humana and McDonald's. And he and I have a week show called Experience This, which you can find at experiencethisshow.com or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you want more examples like the ones I talked about, the book is a great place to go. It's called Never Lose a Customer Again. You can get it you know, on Amazon or on Audible or wherever you like to buy books. If you listen to the audiobook, like you're listening to this podcast, I narrate it so you can hear more of me telling you stories from the book. But check it out. And what I will say about this is there's a guarantee at the beginning of the book. If you read the book, and you don't feel like you've gotten your value out of the book, my email's in the book. Send me an email and I'll refund what you paid for the book. Period. It's that simple. My goal was to write a book that people would not only find useful in terms of how it made them think and how it made them feel, but more importantly, that it would change the way they acted when interacting with their clients and customers. So hopefully you can find some ideas and some inspiration there too. Awesome. And I can personally attest that book has absolutely helped our business a ton and is worth way more than anything that we paid for it. So, <laughs> uh, Thanks, AJ. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Professionals Investing Podcast on WIN, your community for investing knowledge for growth. Please take a second to rate us so that we can get more great investors to interview. If you or someone you know wants to be on, please go to westsideinvestors.com and fill out our form.